Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today is February 22nd, 2224, and you're listening and watching the Daily AI Show live. And today we are talking about the US and whether it's got a global dominance in AI. What does that mean? What's going on with that? And where this show came from was a um a article that Carl had actually shared um, from the CEO of Palantir. And basically what he said, and we'll get into this, was within 10 years, around 90%, 95% of the world's top tech companies will be American, thanks to the US lead in AI. Um, and then he said, uh, very large, but that will benefit only a handful of companies. Okay, so then there's a whole lot of the stuff that goes into it. So that's sort of the the, uh, the nugget that we're starting from, is just sort of talking about where the US currently is, as far as, you know, if you want to call it AI dominance, who else is out there, you know, um, between China and, and different, you know, Mistral and, and France and different companies like that. Um, and will anything really change in the next, uh, it says within 10 years was his quote. So we can dive into all that. We got Beth, Andy, Jimmy, I'm Brian, and we'll see if anybody else pops in. Maybe Carl, I think that would be the only other one today. And um, yeah, just kind of want to kick this off. So does anybody have any sort of like Top of top of the the show notes, Andy does. All right, I figured you might, Andy. I've got, I almost, I've got some numbers Andy. for us. <clears throat> yeah, so I love it. I love it. I figured you would. Go for it. So what I did is I there's a there's a um a global AI index that's a tracking the level of investment cumulatively and by year for all of the countries in the world. There's a beautiful graphic display of this at a place called tortoisemedia.com. Um, I, I just saw that before the show started here. But what I did is I asked Perplexity what the AI investment uh, was for the top 10 countries. And uh, then I asked it what get, to give me the GDP of those countries. And then I had ChatGPT give me a table with the investment in AI, cumulative investment in AI now, um, as a percentage of GDP. So there's some interesting things that pop out of that. First of all, as you might imagine, the, the leaders in AI investment are the United States and China. Mm -hmm. But the total investment cumulatively to date uh, by the United States is 250 billion, and in China, 95 billion. So about two and a half times as much investment in the United States as compared to China. Uh, but when you flip it to be as a percentage of uh, GDP, some interesting things come out. Any guesses on who the leader in AI investment as a percent of GDP is? None. Uh, I, Israel. I Israel. Oh. Really. So the United States, with 250 billion of investment, is about 0.8%, or call it 1% of GDP, has been invested to date. So you take the static number, GDP annually, and then cumulative investment. So it's not it's not like that's how much we're spending, like, NATO has to spend 2% right. per annum of their GDP and, and that sort of thing. But so Israel is at almost 3% of their GDP invested, which is really three times as much as what the United States is investing on a per capita basis, if you will. Uh, because I would say that probably Israel's uh, GDP per capita is probably similar uh, you know, to uh, as are most of the developed countries, I, I suspect. Uh, the second one is Singapore with 1% of its mm. GDP, very similar to the United States. Uh, and then following in close succession after the United States at 0.8% are the United Kingdom with 
Canada with 0.4%, and then China comes in at 0.36%. So because of the enormity of the Chinese population, uh, there's a smaller percentage of GDP, but nonetheless, it's a very substantial investment in GDP, uh, in, in AI rather. And, and then the, the other thing is that since it's a cumulative number, it doesn't really show the acceleration. And we know in a command economy like China's, they could ramp up very, very rapidly. They could decide right. to pour mm -hmm. a ton of money into their AI, and I'm sure they have already. Uh, they lead in terms of the uh, average amount of money given to a single startup. So the average amount that's been given to startups uh, you know, in, in China in 2022 was the leader of the pack. So they gave $71 million per startup uh, uh, you know, to get those things off the ground. So that gives you some background numbers to, to play with. Definitely, it is the case, that confirming evidence that, that uh, you know, the U.S. Is, is leading the pack when it comes to uh, AI investment. So uh, this didn't come up in yesterday's show, but Singapore announced two days ago a $1 billion five-year investment plan in AI. I don't know that that's showing up in the numbers, but uh, the but what you are saying is that Singapore is absolutely uh, having its eye on this, and I think that's just um, further evidence of that. Yeah. Also, not not from uh, yesterday's show, but uh, uh, something that Microsoft announced is they're investing 5.6 billion in um, in Europe in in general uh, around AI, with I think a little less than half going to to Spain and and other countries. Yeah, yeah I think so, I think Microsoft is probably one of the top countries in the world. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Well, that's, that's another point, right? <laughs> another point is 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 the premise when we say you know investment by U.S. or China or you know France and and things like that. This is more. This is more just talking about companies that are headquartered in those countries. In, That's right. In those countries, we're not talking about the not necessarily talking about the countries themselves, which certainly uh, they do. That's things like not necessarily AI, but uh, when the Chips Act was um, was passed, that's like two hundred eighty. Uh, million dollars, billion dollars are going to be spent on chip manufacturing and things like that. Um, but uh, my point is that these these companies are global and international already. And so to I just want to make sure there's a clear difference uh, when we're talking about what is a country's investment in AI and what is a company that just happens to be headquartered in a country's investment in AI. So, it, it, Carl, just a second. So when Andy reads those numbers and shares those numbers, um, the number, if Microsoft is a part of those numbers, it's not, and Microsoft is increasing investment in uh, in growing in the UK or, or Europe, that's still considered um, US, part of GDP in those numbers because Microsoft is headquartered here, even though it's international. Is that true? I believe that's true. Okay, mm -hmm. thanks. Okay. Carl. Now, there, it could be the case that Microsoft has a UK subsidiary that is also mm -hmm. making investments. So, it, it, you know, there might be, Got Microsoft it. might be contributing to a number of those buckets. Okay. Yeah. 
the one thing I, you know, so Junmi was talking about chips. It's funny. And one of the things that uh, I wanted to bring attention to, this was a couple weeks ago by um, Jensen Huang, the CEO of NVIDIA, where he was saying like every single country should have its own kind of AI, right? AI sovereignty. Mm -hmm. It refers yeah. to the strategic development deployment of AI te technology to protect national security, economic competitiveness, mm -hmm. and societal well-being. Uh, this is in contrast to corporate-controlled AI, which is developed primarily for the best interests of the company rather than the state. So if you look at it on the whole, you could argue, oh, China is kind of on that path where, you know, since the government controls pretty much everything, they have sovereignty over their AI versus something like the United States, uh, any Western countries, where it's like OpenAI and Google controls the the AI. So it, I can boil it down to something like, I'm always a big advocate of businesses creating their own co-pilots to run their own businesses. To me, this is like, hey, each country should have its own. I don't even know how that's even going to work. And I don't think some countries can even have that type of, just, just no way they would need the, the compute power, the, 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 the resources, the people to actually do that. I just, there's, that's just not possible um, for, for some countries. So it, again, like it goes back to us dom dominated because these companies are us based. So Google and open AI and Microsoft, they're the ones running it. Meta, Anthropic, I don't, besides open source, who are the other players that can actually like offer something to the world? Well, some of the, some of the companies that I pulled up that are Europe based, not, this isn't obviously inclusive of the whole world. I just did Europe, but some that we would know are shift technology, Synthesia, uh, Mistral, Stability AI, uh, Stability AI is in UK, Mistral in France, Synthesia is UK, Shift is France. Uh, a couple others come up in Germany that I'm not familiar with their names. Um, one relocated, poolside AI relocated from the U.S. to Paris. Um, uh, so France, France, I would say first UK and then Germany based on this quick list. Of course, it's not inclusive and it's not data that I would build anything off of. But I do think there's something to be said for, you know, tech hubs. There's a reason that despite all the all the maybe problems of living in San Francisco, it continues to be a place that startups start up. And that's like, because who are your neighbors, right? So there's there's a lot to be said for having close proximity to other startups, uh, other uh, working knowledge of, of how to start that up. And that obviously can lead to a lot of success. And I wonder, I don't hear about them, and it's maybe my ignorance on this, but I don't hear about necessarily those same levels of quote unquote tech hubs there. Mm -hmm. I think it's much easier to incubate and get a startup off the ground if you're in some of these areas in the US because they have a, a track record of success. And again, it's why people continue to move to San Francisco, despite the fact that San Francisco is a very hard place to start to like financially start up and have workers work and live. You know, that's right. why we hear the stories about people living in their cars and the Google stories and stuff like that. So 
why isn't that happening in Montana? Well, I'm sure some are, but there's there's probably a really good reason why that doesn't continue to happen. Obviously, the United States is massively large comparative to other countries. So that's probably part of it too. But it does beg the question, like Europe from, from France to Germany to the UK or whatever, like this is not a large swath of area. So I guess maybe is it that you guys think that these startups maybe don't have the same support if you're just startup in, in France? You know, um, do you not have the same support that you might have in the U.S.? And that also contributes to your runway. You know, how hard it is for you to get up and running with some new AI technology. And we talk a lot about all the LLMs, by the way, and all this stuff that comes up in this show a lot. But just like we were talking the other day, all the different types of AI technology that are in the from military to infrastructure to bridges, stuff that like drones, things that aren't necessarily sexy, but they're definitely going to help uh no pun intended, pave the road going forward around the world. So I don't know. I just, that's where my brain goes I, with this. What do you think? I'm going to say that there's probably a, a, a capital issue here, which is VCs don't really like to have to invest in something that's in a foreign country. They want mm -hmm. to be able to get in their car and drive to the headquarters of the office of the company they've invested in. They want to be able to supervise and support. And, and so that's that's in the VC world, that's well known as, you know, an entrepreneur and going out and trying to find VC capitalization of ideas. I've I've had that experience where, you know, it, maybe there's a VC in New York. I live in California. Maybe there's a VC in New York, but they're not as interested in me because, you know, I have alternatives here. So I think the capital has concentrated in the San Francisco Bay Area for sure. And it may be that there's just not a really huge amount of capital in what is really now a center of excellence in AI, which is in, I believe, Paris, uh, which is the you know that uh, company that's offering up the Mist Mistral uh, series of uh, large language models and many other there. But the I think we lost Andy. Andy froze. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I just I, I want to just uh, expand on what Addy was saying is it's, if you look at what rules just came out like there were the what I can't remember what the EU came out with like the European like AI intelligence whatever act they came up with there's a lot of people saying hey that's very restrictive and that will either prevent or significantly push down the type of innovation that comes out of of Europe because you have to do a lot more in term and some of those rules they make sense but the what you have to do to actually get to you know to bring forth your project there's a lot of transparency you have to do how you train your models all those kind of things versus the United States where it's like well it seems oh, like very there's been a couple what executive orders and a couple things in front of congress but there's there's no laws or rules that are coming out like very stringent and especially in a i guess you could argue in a congress that is very very partisan you're not going to get something i don't know if you're going to get anything bipartisan that's going to come out that all three levels are going to sign off on so i think it's because of that gridlock you're just going to have more open I guess open like less regulation um, here than in, in Europe. Yeah, I think it's it, you're right. It's like 
it's a bit of the wild wild west right now and that gives a lot of like first mover advantage and it allows people to um you know have obviously more freedom to test things out to throw things out into the wild before you know government comes down on top of it you know my my analogy to this is firefighter but iraq firefighter not domestic firefighter but we when we were over there uh doing contract firefighting and it was in the most active part of the war you know this is the the um operation iraqi freedom and and uh, liberty um the when the firefighters were there before me like they put out a fire everybody threw a parade right it didn't matter how the firefighters got it done because there was literally incoming bombs and stuff. Now, I got there in 2009. Things had settled down comparatively to 2007 drastically. It was a much, much safer place for me to be as a contractor, right? And then what happens after that? Well, all of a sudden, it's like no more parades for putting out fires. Now the government comes in and says, well, hold on. How, how much are you spending to do whatever it is? And what are we paying you? And all of a sudden, when things settle down a bit and it's not the Wild Wild West anymore, there's not only not any parades, there's a whole lot of government oversight that comes on top of that. And mm -hmm. I feel like right now when it comes to AI, it's like everybody's excited about what these LLMs can do and what's GPT-5 going to be. There was a quote <laughs> yesterday from somebody apparently from internally at OpenAI saying the world is not ready for GPT-5. That may in fact be mm -hmm. true. Whether OpenAI will hold that back or not, I'm not quite sure. It depends on you know what they do, but I think there's probably some validity to that statement. And but it's a bit of the wild, wild west. So I do think, Carl, you're right. Like I expect the government to catch up on this as things settle down a little bit. And then it's going to be like, well, what, how does this affect us and, and rules and regulations? So it's sort of, it seems advantageous right now. If you are thinking about doing an AI startup, this is the time because you yeah. probably have the least amount of roadblocks ahead of you, the biggest chance to get VC backing, so on and so on and so forth. Like the ball, you know, speeding up, rolling downhill. I don't know. I, you know, the, the, it, it's, I would argue, I don't even know if this is an argument, but, but that this is, again, this technology is the fastest, the pace of this is faster than anything we've seen. So, mm -hmm. you know how long it took government to crack down on social media? This is like, well, it's been like over a decade. <laughs> Right? Has it? Not even cracked out. Like they just got Zuckerberg and made him turn around and, and apologize. Right. Well, like by the time, like if you think about how slow everything moves from that point and how fast this is going, yeah, they can come up with rules, but it's like, how can you govern like all these things that are coming out? How can you govern like deep fakes? And how can you detect it? You can't enforce it because part of governing is you have to enforce your laws. Well, yeah, it's, hey, it's fine if you have a bunch of laws, but I'm like, who has the skill set to enforce these laws when everybody's learning as fast as they possibly can and new yeah. technology comes out? Then there's open source where it's like, you, you, yeah, you can, you can put the regulations on the, the big companies, but you can't put the regulations on just like, Hugging Face, GitHub, whatever yeah. it is that just comes out, like Mistral just pops up a torrent. How are you going to? It is. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It's the Wild West. And uh, pretty soon there is going to be a cry to prevent open carry of AI. Mm. <laughs> AI, <Yeah. in. laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of flip. But at the same time, you know, having 
continuous surveillance that is a function of cameras on humans walking around that are a part of their AI wearables, mm -hmm. you know, that's an mm -hmm. issue that's probably a subject for another show. But um, yeah, th this is all about regulation and, and how do you, how does the world anticipate and respond to the major disruptions uh, of privacy and lots of other issues, economic and, and other, uh, that are coming about because of the very rapid development of AI capabilities that are driven by AI itself. So to a certain extent, what we're talking about is that um, the... <laughs> some of the dysfunction of the way that the U.S. works um, uh, is to the benefit of this kind of development. And I would say that to that that's also true of San Francisco, right? So, so you hear about um, not only VC funding, but okay, if you can move your whole team here, we'll give you a house, right? So now you have six months of funding, six months of mentoring, and a place to live where you're all together. And you're <laughs> in this little bubble. When right. things are moving this quickly, we know because we're benefiting it because we're hanging out five days a week. When things are moving this quickly, the closer you can be to people who are also engaged in that pursuit of, of knowledge, of skill, of any of that, the the more advanced you are plus san francisco has this history right so uh so it sort of uh, laid the groundwork before to be in this right place at this right time and now all of these things are kind of converging um, and it has legacy capital right here i mean the right. the, mm -hmm. the 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 treasure chests of, right. of individuals here who are available to provide private equity at, either as limited partners you know, uh, or as individual angel investors, it's enormous. The two things that I would say are um, are different in this that are to the advantage of people who are listening is, as we said uh, a couple of days ago on the show, on the Unicorn Show, you can do a lot with a much smaller team if you are creating your own AI employees or creating expertise in that context. And it's so much more um, uh, like you can meet, you can engage with people in a virtual way, in a way that you couldn't 30 years ago. Right. So you don't have to move to San Francisco. It's a huge advantage. But you can also because of the pace of this, if you have something to show and you have a core group um uh then like where you are you can kind of mimic some of that potentially i, I think this brings up a good point too of you know equity which is to say that it's not it we joke all the time and carl talks about his access to google and stuff and carl is just over the border in canada <laughs> like we, like geographically he's not that far from some of us on this show right or aaron um when he joins the show he's over in perth australia but it's not the same everywhere. Like I can sit in my house in Metro Tampa area where I live and I can have very reliable, almost always up internet at massive speeds. And I'm also in a, you know, uh, environment where paying the $20 a month to get access to the fastest speed of ChatGPT is, is completely doable for my salary and my family and stuff like that. That's obviously not the case in, in large swaths of the world. So not only do you have like great 
you like Paris says we want AI companies to be here or like what we saw in Miami when they wanted to be the the um the not cyber but the crypto capital right they like pushed hard in that area you know so you have these cities or whatever you can say great and then and then people go okay great we want we want a center here it sounds like Paris wants us here they're going to give us free housing whatever the case is oh the internet is spotty oh it's not nearly as fast as we need it's not in the ethernet speeds it's it's down more than it's up oh our our workers based on what we can pay them you know we can only pay them x and they can't pay 20 us dollars per month that would be ridiculous it'd be a huge amount a huge cost to them so there's a lot of other barriers i think that are here for not just european but anywhere in the world companies because they don't simply have the same access to speeds technology costs mm -hmm. well that's that that's we, going by the wayside right? now as a factor because of starlink and other you know services that will provide high bandwidth services i agree it's going it's going down but we're not there today and starlink is still expensive i have i have family members who use starlink because they live in the mountains you know in the tennessee mountains they have to it's 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 better and they pay for it because they do homeschooling where the kids but it's it's did he it's go, expensive did he get lost too what's that you need starlink <laughs> <laughs> did mine just pause uh, yeah, I just said you need Starlink. That's funny. That's funny that it did it right as I was talking about. There that. you go. I saw um, you. You were you were smooth to me. <laughs> it felt fine on my end. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's just Elon Musk with his finger. He's like, "Oh, really?" With his finger on the button. He's like, "This is slow down Tampa." Everybody in Tampa is like, "What the?" <laughs> Stop talking about Elon. Brian, <laughs> all of Tampa. Yeah, Brian again. <laughs> well, listen, as we're, as we're sort of like you know bringing this back to whole, like. I don't know. Is this obviously this started and Carl, you weren't here at the top of the show, but we were saying this from something you had shared, which was from the Palantir CEO, Alex Karp. And um, basically th this Axios uh, article was U.S. eating everyone's lunch on AI, which I just love that title. And he has a quote in here. This is a strong military gets stronger, stronger software companies get stronger. People who are in weaker positions get much weaker. And so is that, in fact, what we're going to see uh, is the wild, wild west. And the the all the stuff we just mentioned about the competitive advantages that the U.S. have does that in fact mean that within ten years, again back to uh, Alex Carp, ninety percent of ninety five percent of the world's top tech companies will be American. Do you guys believe that that's the case? Ten years, by the way, is a massively long time. In I, don't, I don't know about like <laughs> like all the tech companies, but if you own if you have everyone looking at Google, OpenAI, Microsoft, all these models here if you're looking at that okay fine it, that's business use everyday use but alex carp who is right ceo of palantir technologies who provides ai tech to defense to the united states if they are at the forefront if these companies are helping the u.s military get even better than the rest of the world which it already is by i think everyone agrees at least a hundred times in terms of money spent people technology so now they have i would say they because you know i'm still across the border but you have <laughs> this type of defense like how can you what is the ramifications of any other country that militarily you are st the strongest you have the best ai capabilities 
that just puts you leaps and bounds above every other country, every other nation. And they're, yeah, I would say they're, you know, I, 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 there's, a, I don't, there's a countervailing trend to that idea that, that having the best AI, even if it's just marginally better, gives you a significant and, and you know, perpetual advantage in terms of military capability. Because right now you have this countervailing thing where the Houthis are out there in the desert and they're, you know, potentially going to swarm U.S. naval vessels in a way that overwhelms their their anti uh, or, or their countermeasures. So, uh, you know, th that could happen as well. The democratization of AI may make it possible for even very small entities to have an outsized capability and AI as fast as it is. You know, maybe it doesn't. It, maybe it hasn't been implemented in such a way that it can countermeasure that. Also, so one of the one of the like I think the biggest threat, and it's part of the work that I am doing, is increasing AI literacy, and the U.S. to a certain extent because of the way that uh, that our politics have come to sort of loggerhead. Um, uh, where it's kind of team based, right? Like red team, blue team. Um, I would I would posit that the U.S. is in, is in a deficit in terms of media literacy in general, and therefore mm. AI literacy, um, uh, and that that also has an impact. And that's not something that uh, our defense department has seen as a threat enough to do something about there are different parts of the government that are looking at that as like hey no this is this is bad for us it's very very bad um but there is also not an agreement about that to move forward in the same way that there is about defense in a physical way mm. uh just final thoughts I, i'd say uh Carl, to to what you were uh, talking about with Palantir, um, and what uh, what their CEO was talking about, it does seem that AI is incumbent uh, supportive, uh, just because they have the ability to move forward in large strides. And this is something that um, I was actually discussing with uh, Faison from Roll in our interview uh, a few months ago, and his thoughts on on AI in general. Uh, the companies that have or the organizations that have already a, a place in technology and developing these technologies will have the the foundations or they'll, they'll have a stronger position to moving in. Um, but to like Andy's point, with the democratization, we're going to see, I think we're going to st still see lots of little players and whether they join forces or there's a larger community that allows them to make certain inroads. I think the difference between the um, societal's catch up to technology's growth, it that gap is always going to be there. And it's in that gap, we're going to see like crazy pads just shoot off. And, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have these crazy examples of like, oh, wow, where did these guys come out of, you know, and those kinds of things. So we're going to get lots of surprises. Uh, but yeah, I think the steady, uh, because of the incumbents, we'll see that steady growth overall in the industry um, with 
with large exceptions just popping off here and there. And again, Brian, 10 years is a lot. I I can't yeah, I can't imagine making a call from 10 years from now in the AI oh. space. I think that's that's a little out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thank God for Facebook memories because I look at him and I go, that was four years ago. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 like I think there's I think there's something really powerful about seeing where you were, you know, several years ago because it 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 uh it never lines up with whatever's in your brain about where it is. So yeah, 10 years especially in this AI space, you know, uh, obviously we'll all still be doing the show uh, in 10 years and, and uh, we'll continue to talk about it. Uh, tomorrow we have our um, bi-weekly recap show. So we might talk a little bit about today, but we'll also talk a little bit about some of the other topics that we brought up and did shows about for the last two weeks. It gives us an opportunity to circle back when we uh, we have more to share there. We don't sometimes we talk about the stuff after the show and things don't make air. So it gives us an opportunity to do all that. That's tomorrow's show. Uh, thanks for everybody today. Uh, Beth, Jimmy, Carl, Andy, appreciate it. And we will be back uh, tomorrow. Bye, everybody. Bye.